how do you learn libraries or even parts of Python itself that you don't have actual work projects to try them out on? Whether that's SQL Alchemy, Slack bots, or Map APIs, actually building projects, small and large, with them is really the only way to gain true competency. Well, you might try one of the 100 days of Python code challenges that have been going around. This week, you'll meet Bob Belderbos and Julian Sakaria, who created PyBytes. They've done a few 100 days of code challenges and are here to share their experience and even some concrete examples. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 140, recorded November 28th, 2017. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. Talk Python to Me is partially supported by our training courses. Have you heard about the 100 Days of Code Challenge? It's a challenge where you write code for an hour a day for 100 days. It's helped many developers finally master programming. But it can be hard to know what to study or have resources to focus on. That's why we wrote not one, but two 100 Days of Code courses. 100 Days of Code in Python, which covers mostly pure Python, and 100 Days of Web in Python, which covers a whole spectrum of web frameworks and concepts. If you've been thinking about taking the 100 Days of Code challenge, be sure to visit training.talkpython.fm and check out our courses. They are the 100 days of projects and lessons with a tidy bow on top just for you. Bob, Julian, welcome to Talk Python. Thank hey, you. Mike. Thanks for having us. An honor. It's great to have you here and see you at least on Skype. Bob, we had such a great time at PyCon. Indeed. It was very nice meeting you. Yeah, it was great to hang out. And that's I think that was really my favorite part of PyCon is just meeting all the people and the you know experiences outside the talks and the conference rooms. But it was a good time. And Julian, next year, maybe you can make it. Who knows? Oh, man. Totally jealous. It is a very long way from Australia. <laughs> I'm going to try for 2018. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've done that flight from Sydney. It's a commitment. It's not pleasant. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, look, if you're going to Australia, you come from my direction to yours, it's a wonderful place to visit. So maybe I'll get down there someday. So we're going to talk about code challenges. Uh, you know, Twitter has been afire with this concept of 100 days of code, basically, people who are learning something new or, or pushing their boundaries in some way, like I'm going to do this for a hundred days and I'm going to commit publicly to doing it and, you know, sort of testify to social media, if that is a thing that I've done my days of work. Right. And so we're going to have a, a good sort of retrospective on this, this one that you did and maybe talk about another one uh, that you guys are doing as well. Before we get there though, let's start with your story. how do you get into programming in Python? Julian, go first. All right. So it was, it's actually kind of funny. Um, I'm really, if, if you're familiar with PyBytes, I'm the relative newbie compared to Bob. So I actually started with uh, C++ in high school, but Python-wise, I don't actually work with Python every day. It's not what I do for a job, which, is, which has made it incredibly difficult, right? It was actually Bob who pushed me. So I was uh, trying to calculate some overtime when I worked in the field for Oracle. And... Uh, yeah, he said, why don't you create a Python app to uh, track that? And that was it. As soon as I started doing it, bang, I was like, this is so 
cool. This is so much easier than um, smart pointers in C++ or, you know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, now I don't have to log in and use the Oracle tool. I can use my own. So, Beautiful. Yeah, it was great. And then from that, it just one thing after another and then PyBytes. Yeah, awesome. And what do you do day-to-day for work? Do you work at Oracle still? No, no. So I, um, I resigned a couple, uh, about a year and a half ago, and I now work for Amazon Web Services. Oh, exciting. What do you do there? It's um, a bit hush-hush, but I work in one of the data centers. So it's uh, okay. a lot of fun. So if anything goes down, it's probably me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put your Twitter account on this page, and soon as AWS, like, Asia goes down. You're going to just hear about it. Yeah, sure. I'll get an email from you as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. All right, Bob, how about yourself? I started programming about 10 years ago. I uh, was working in a financial department and um, we had to close the month every every month and um, tasks got a bit boring. So I started to use Excel and macros to uh, automate the stuff. At the same time, I discovered uh, web design and making web pages, which I was very passionate about. So I self-taught programming, went back into Sun and later Oracle as a support engineer, started to build web tools for the engineers to um, solve their cases more rapidly. Well, I was doing that in Bash. Give us an example of like a tool you might make and the problem that it solves. An example of a tool? Yeah, yeah. Like what, what kind of tools would you make? Like what kind of problems and how would you help people solve them? Yeah, that was cool because there was one day in the chat room somebody said like well we're getting all these diagnostic bundles from servers and we don't have any tool to uh, do diagnostic on them it's like these lucky moments when you see an opportunity and you can build something big so i started to um, develop a tool to diagnose these bundles and have a web GUI for engineers to um, help uh, solve the issues and that tool became uh, pretty big with hundreds of engineers using it and that got me into uh, and it's still in Python? No, that was in PHP. And later oh, work okay. then uh, was in Perl. And that got a bit of a mess. So in 2012, I looked at other options, stumbled upon Python, um, found it very clean and nice, and I never looked back. <laughs> so I've been using yeah, it for five years yeah. now. If you look at the graphs of the popularity of Python and the growth of Python, there's an amazing article from Stack Overflow called the incredible growth of Python. And that's super amazing. But if you look at where the graph turns sharply up, that's in 2012. So you're partly to, to blame all you credit both. for that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so you you just like languages with Ps, right? PHP, Perl, Python? I do I like JavaScript a little bit as well. <laughs> Maybe we can put a silent P in there. Speaking of Ps, let's talk about PyBytes. This is so similar to the name of my other podcast. That was so funny. There's all these weird coincidences, right? There were no Python podcasts. And then I released this one like days before podcast and it comes out. And they're like, where were the first one? Wait, no, we're not. Why? And then, you know, we both released like a similar thing. I feel like it was just about the same time, right? It was around December last year, I think, right? Exactly. I think we were in November. It was just like crazy. So P-Y-B-I-T dot E-S, right? Yep. It reveals one of the locations, Spain. Exactly. That's where you are. Uh, yeah. So you guys tell everyone about it. It's a pretty cool resource. So PyBytes is a blog where pretty much the bare minimum, we share our passion and love for Python. That's it. It started because of that. Bob and I, we always struggled to work on projects together because of the sheer time difference, time zones, different jobs now. And it was just ridiculous. So 
we eventually just bit the bullet and said, you know what, why don't we start a blog together on Python? So he knew a lot. I didn't know a huge amount. And we felt that that gap between our knowledge levels would be an awesome concept for a blog. He could do the more complex stuff and I could do the really beginner stuff as I'm learning it. So as Bob would be learning some crazy complex uh, concept, he would write these amazing articles on it and I'd be scratching my head going, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) And uh, then I'd take something that was quite simple to Bob and I would write that in super layman's terms so that anyone could read it and understand it. And we had this sort of double whammy approach. I think that's really, yeah, that's a super cool idea because I think there's huge value in people who are new to a particular technology like you described yourself, talking about their experiences, explaining what they're learning. And there's so many people who are learning what you're learning that they're not necessarily looking for the high-end expert analysis of meta classes. They want to know how to write a function with default values or you know something like this, right? And so that's super helpful. But then on the other hand, a lot of times that comes up a little bit short and not actually having the right depth, the really the best answer. And it feels like you guys could team up on that. Did it work that way, Bob? Yes. And I think it's a nice dynamic between beginner level and Julian making stuff really accessible and me sometimes uh, tackle maybe a, a bit more advanced uh, topic. So yeah, I think it's it's a great combination. And um, yeah, funnily, yesterday we did a code challenge and we made a new one and uh, Julian sent me the beginning and I then tweaked it and he said, well, that, that's way advanced. You do like sword with Lambda. And that's cool because for some folks, some of the audience do need that more advanced level. But some of the folks are still with for loops and variables. And yeah, you really have to take a step back. And, and I think Julian is great at that. He made some very accessible articles like on what is a class or how to write a for loop. And, and you, you notice that a lot of beginning Pythonistas need that. That's for sure. It's really easy to sort of zoom past the, the introductory stuff and get to like the excited internals. Like here, let's disassemble this and look at the byte code and see what it's doing. It's like, uh, no, maybe not so much. <laughs> maybe we got to take a step back. Cool. So how did you guys meet up? You guys are, uh, let's talk about some crazy time zone shifting. Like the world we live in is so amazing. So Bob, what time is it? 11 p.m., 11.15 almost. Yeah. <laughs> Julian, what time is it? It's 9.15 a.m. on Wednesday. Oh, you guys are all wrong. It's two in the afternoon on Tuesday. Man, you are in the future. We made it. So that's, that's pretty, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, we got at least you know, 12 more hours. So how do you guys meet up across all this time and space? So we actually haven't met, believe it or not, probably think I'm lying, but we haven't met in person. Back in uh, Sun Microsystems, where we both worked, Bob actually, out of the blue, randomly wanted to use some machines that you know I was looking after. And uh, we had this conversation, and we just, I guess, ended up emailing back and forth. And uh, now we're practically married. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys have like deadlines every single day. You have to agree on code and whatnot, right? Yep, daily on the phone. That's awesome. So a lot of Skype or other VoIP stuff and GitHub and things like that? Yeah, um, WhatsApp works well for uh, talking and we use Slack also with uh, some more folks of our community. And um, yeah, GitHub for coding. Yeah, we use a lot of tools. It's a great time to live in. It totally is. For Slack, do you guys have like a PyBytes community yes. that people can join? Yes. All right, tell us about that. So that came around code challenges, which we will... Um, discuss in a bit 
we started to ask people to join Slack to ask questions and share their experiences on, on the code challenges. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great asset to build a community and uh, get inputs and help people. And Yeah, I think that's really nice. So we can put a link to that in the show notes if people want to join up. Yeah, it'd be cool. It's actually really cool because um, we invited people as they were doing pull requests and the challenges, and they're the more, most dedicated people, right? And so we're bringing them in, and you get one or two people every few days. And now we have this community in there where we sort of, back away sometimes and these guys and girls they just they help each other they answer their own questions and they have these conversations we'll come back i'll be at work all day and my watch is going nuts with hundreds of messages coming through and i'm thinking what am i missing out on what's happening yeah i gotta i gotta take a lunch break and go see what's going on nice that, that's really that's really awesome i mean i have a getter channel for the podcast and a lot of people drop in there and it's similar uh, there's probably more people in your channel because I don't talk about it very much, but still, it's great when people get in there and share ideas and help each other. Yeah, totally. All right, this code challenge. So, 100 days of code. Uh, Bob, tell us what the general idea of this is. I have to get his name right. I think it was Alex Galloway who invented the challenge for JavaScript and promoting coding in general. It's about 100 days in a row. Share your coding. Share what you're doing. Whatever it is, do an hour a day, and be responsible, do a tweet out what you did. So you see a lot of uh, tweets with the hashtag 100 days of code and people share scripts or if they did a tutorial or whatever they did, but it's one hour a day. And we gave it a little twist of do actually a script a day, which we shot ourselves a little bit in the foot there. But um, <laughs> what happened? Is it like a little more than an hour or what happened? A lot of scripts were pretty basic and yeah, can use some refactoring and were within the hour, but sometimes it does not because typically happens you start to build something cool and you really want to tweak it and yeah, it can be more. But on the flip side, and we will go into a couple of scripts shortly. Yeah, we, we were picking our favorites for the show and we went through the logs and it's like a couple of months ago now and we we're like, did we do all this coding? It was like 5,000 lines of code in 100 days. Um, well, between the two of us. So we yeah. even and uneven days, but still, we did so much. <laughs> that was really cool. Julian, do you feel like you said you were a little newer at Python? Do you feel like this gave you some experience with Python in ways that maybe projects you're working on wouldn't? Oh, totally. Well, first of all, it absolutely destroyed me in a good way. <laughs> it was just insane, right? We were coding every day as it was for PyBytes. So to suddenly say, well, we can do 100 days, it was almost, well, we're already doing it. So what's the point? So that's when we started, said, well, what if we made a script? And that just took me from one level to, the, to maybe five levels above, you know, because I was forced to not only learn something. So it's not just watching a video or reading a doc or something. It was learn it, apply it make it functional and have it actually do something that you can then share out and someone can, you know, clone that from GitHub and have a running script that does something. That's really awesome. So you kind of put a little twist on it and just not just, I wrote some code, I have a code streak for a hundred days or whatever you want to call it. It's I created 100 working little baby applications in a hundred days, right? And that was nuts. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk about the details of them in a minute, but Bob, can you just touch on like some of the things you got to play with? Like, did you get to play with say SQL alchemy or tiny DB or, you know, things like this? Yeah. All goodness. Yeah. SQL alchemy was there. Philly API. We will have some examples shortly, but um, we did some stats and I think we actually used exactly hundred modules, which was like a weird coincidence, hundred days. 
100 modules and I think like 40% or so was from PyPI. So it was a lot of external stuff as well. We discovered maps, plot cities on maps and a lot of APIs, web development, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it's we have a lot of snippets there now so we can go back and there's tools we use till this day. There were foundations in there with Twilio API that led to a guest post for the Twilio blog. There are Slack bots in there we, we use on our Slack today. Twitter automation we run today. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really awesome, actually. I feel like you could get a bunch of ideas of like almost products or things that you could create if you were to willing to like put a few months into one of them, right? Totally. Exactly. And, and it's, yeah. it's not about perfectionism. It's about doing these quick prototypes. Just get coding. You know, it had, I mean, if you think about having the perfect script, you, you, you don't get it. You're not getting to do it. Yeah, I've known a lot of people who are in, some people who are in programming who spend too much time worrying about getting things just right and not just going, I'm going to write this and if I have to, I'll refactor it. And if like, it's the worst case scenario, I'll just rewrite it knowing a lot more than I did the first time. You know, I, I feel like some people kind of get frozen during the headlights for big projects uh, and just not really wanting to start being afraid of going the wrong direction. This portion of Talk Python to Me has been brought to you by Rollbar. One of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, Ugh. relying on users to report errors, digging through log files, trying to debug issues, or getting millions of alerts just flooding your inbox and ruining your day. With Rollbar's full-stack error monitoring, you get the context, insight, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster. Adding Rollbar to your Python app is as easy as pip install Rollbar. You can start tracking production errors and deployments in 8 minutes or less. Are you considering self-hosting tools for security or compliance reasons? Then you should really check out Rollbar's compliant SaaS option. Get advanced security features and meet compliance without the hassle of self-hosting, including HIPAA, ISO 27001, Privacy Shield, and more. They'd love to give you a demo. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to talkpython.fm slash rollbar and check them out. Julian, I guess this probably like helps you just like learn to just like, okay, you have to write. It is 11 o'clock at night. I have one hour left. I have to write. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was it. It wasn't sit there and plan it and storyboard it or something. It was just, okay, what's the first thing we need for this app? Okay. It needs to output this data. Just write your prints, write your for loops, write your, create your databases, you know, and it wasn't perfect. It was tough. You know, there were some nights we'd be up till, you know, one in the morning with waking up at 530 because I have kids and uh, you'd be a wreck. And the only positive, the light at the end of the tunnel was seeing that countdown to the end and knowing that you had a gap in between. So you could, you almost had two days to write the script, but you were writing across both days. And uh, right. it was just... Yeah. Um, the other good thing is we probably spent, uh, not spent, we probably saved a couple of months of Netflix because I probably canceled <laughs> it again. <laughs> yeah, I was behind on all my Marvel TV. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of view programming as my gaming. Like I used to play things like Counter-Strike and games and whatnot. And, and now if I have an extra two hours, I'm like, oh, what feature can I add to my like training website or what other kind of thing could I create? Like, I bet I can do that in two hours, you know, and it, it becomes kind of a game as well. It's becoming like watching series. It's kind of relaxing. And yeah, the more you build, the more projects you have and the more features or, or stuff you want to add or, or fix. So yeah, it's kind of a, a lost game. <laughs> 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 for sure all right so let's talk about some of these particular challenges you guys did a hundred days of code so a hundred scripts as you described it 
and I asked you to pick 10 that you thought would be fun to talk about. So this is just a 10% sampling, right? This is not exhaustive by any measure. So uh, Julian, want to start on day 51? Okay. So day 51, I chose this one because it had to do with the request module, which was one of the first modules I dealt with when I started learning because I wanted to scrape websites, right? And that was the way to get into it. One thing I remember back in the day that I was struggling with was how to deal with a website that had a login prompt. I was like, well, this is impossible. You can't do it. There's no way. Yeah, you can't do a get against that because it redirects you 301 over to this uh, login page. Forget it. Exactly. Screw that. I don't, or can, I don't you know. need that data. Who needs it? So <laughs> I was struggling. And again, for this 100 days, probably one of the complex things was coming up with ideas. And just I remembered that pain point and I Googled it and I found out, oh, you can actually log in with requests. What the hell is this? You know, so I can't believe it. So then I started playing with it. And next thing you know, I was um, writing a script to log into my freecycle.org account, which is a, you know, you, like a eBay thing, but everything's free. And I was able to log into it, scrape my current ads, and then save them, you know, report that data and save it back to a database, you know. And it was just a simple script, but the challenge of uh, logging into something using a, a script was just mind-blowing for me. That's really cool. So I, you know, I know that you can do that with requests. I know you can do posts and puts and deletes and all those kind of things and, and headers. But maybe walk us through what is the process of like carrying over the session, right? So you, you go find the logging page, you put the body of like username, password, you do a post. What do you get back a cookie and have to carry that over to the next yeah. request? Do you remember how that went? Yeah, essentially you have this payload, as it's called, and you have to input your username and password into it. And you do a post. The crazy thing here was that you had to investigate the URLs that you need to send this data to because you can't just send it to the page. You have to go into the background and look for their, I guess, their login post request URL. And then I was able to send that data, that payload data to that using requests. And then you get back your session so you can log in. And it was, it was just crazy. That's pretty awesome. Nice. Okay. That one sounds like a really fun one. And it's like you took this idea that you kind of already had more or less down, like request, beautiful soup, CSS selectors, we're going to do this. Oh, wait, here's this next level that I need to like jump over. And, you know, it's really cool. He took one of these challenges as an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And then, you know, you you learn stuff along the way. So then it was quite simple to take that data and chuck it into a SQL light database, you know, mm -hmm. nice and easy. Yeah, definitely. That's nice and easy for sure. Bob, how about uh, yours? What, what one do you want to talk about? The very first script I did in day number one, when we were still full of ideas. So there's a <laughs> handle of Python underscore tip. You might have heard of uh, them. They do a daily tweet of a trick or tip in Python. Pretty scientific, but they have some very good tips and get a great following. The way you submit tips to them is via a Google Doc, which goes into a, a spreadsheet or a CSV downloadable. But there was not really a way to see if, if a tip was already submitted. So you don't want to clutter their database or spreadsheet with duplicate tips. So I made a little script to um, just um, probably request get the um, CSV, which is just a public uh, URL, parse it in some uh, data structure and just um, from the command line, you give it one or more strings and uh, then it's just a little uh, script, um, CLI script and it then tells you if the string you're looking for 
it shows you the tips that has that string in them. So you can just say, oh, okay, they have like already five Ether tools uh, tips. The one I'm about to submit is pretty similar, so I don't do it. And the fun thing is, right, exactly. that was also a nice example of, of like meeting other developers because then we reached out to them, hey, you made this script, it's going to be helpful for you. And then they, at the um, submit form, they then link to the script that people could download that script. I even made a one-liner wrapper that you can do it with a bash wget or whatever. Just do one command, even if you have, don't have the script locally. And uh, yeah, they linked to it. So it was a little bit um, also for the community if somebody wanted to use that. Yeah, and then we, we stayed in touch. And later we um, we reached out to Python tip again to do uh, more, um, to uh, actually um, associate to uh, code challenges to the great collection of tips they have. So that was kind of a nice script, but also like uh, meeting other developers. Yeah, I think the the ability to reach out to people and form these connections is really powerful. You know, that's sort of because GitHub makes it so easy, right? Like it's, it's super easy to connect with people and things like Twitter and so on. It's always been there, but it's really great. And it it's like one one afternoon of work or something, you've got this little script. And now you've got this connection with someone else doing cool, similar stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Julian, take us back to day 25. All right, so we're going backwards. You're talking about SQLite before, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this one, uh, one of the first things I learned with uh, the whole 100 days thing was to use SQLite. So over the years, with I remember seeing people using SQL databases. I'm going, oh, I have no idea what you're looking, what I'm looking at here. You guys are, must be... Yeah, it's so painful to set up, and I need a server and the credentials, and come on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't have time for that, no. It was always one thing that I wanted to do you know, I saw it and I thought, this must be such an amazing skill to have. These people are wizards. They, I don't know how they do it, you know. And so I learned SQLite 3 using Python and uh, just starting off nice and simple, database and names, you know, the usual stuff you might start off with. But then as I was making more things where I wanted to store that data, I was getting really annoyed that I had to keep setting up this database manually. And this is one of my favorite things about the 100 days is that I ended up creating a whole bunch of little scripts that automate these tiny little repetitive processes. And this is one of them. So day 25, I created a script that generates a test SQLite database. So the sort of Python code, see, I've prepared now. I've got it up here on the screen. <laughs> the Python for the, the sort of generic database format that I might like with, say, three text columns and one integer column. That was just a very generic test one that I was creating. And this will create that. You just run this command and it prompts you to ask for the name of your database and that's it, just creates it. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's that's how I started it. So I have expanded it. I haven't updated the code on GitHub, shame on me, where it asks you then to name your columns and the name of your table. You know, So it walks you through a little almost wizard to set it up. So that that was that one. It was actually a lot of fun because then after that, I could just use that every time. Yeah, this is one of the harder things to working with SQLite is if you map something like SQL Alchemy to it, then you can just say, you know, create all tables, right, on the models you're mapping, and it just does it. But if you don't want to use that, you're like, oh, well, I got to do all the DDL, like, creation syntax and all that kind of stuff. So this is this is a nice little thing to have. Yeah. It was very useful. The SQL Alchemy, that's that's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. And by the way, if you're listening and you want to follow along, I'll have the link to your GitHub repository 
That's the 100 days of code. So every one of these is just numbered by day. And so it's github.com slash pybytes, P-Y-B-I-T-S, 100 days of slash 100 days of code. So you guys can follow along. It has the numbers right there. All right, Bob, one of the challenges if you want to do any sort of testing is external dependencies, right? Especially APIs. And if they're like rate limited or something, it's even worse. Or if they're going to make modifying changes like post something. So your number 81 has some cool examples on how to get around this, right? Exactly. That's the problem with external APIs. You don't want to call them over and over again when you run your tests. So I spent one day looking at unit test uh, mock patch to mock test the uh, TweetPy um, API. And uh, yeah, I managed to do a little script to um, to populate some fake data and um, do the patch object decorator kind of fake the call to the TweetPy API. And um, yeah, that worked out pretty well. It was not a critical script, but it, uh, that's really where you do the coding just for the sake of practice. Because the original script was just a, a funny who tweeted what. <laughs> because somebody on Twitter asked like, okay, so whom I'm talking to? <laughs> it's PyBytes. Is this Julian <laughs> or Bob? So we made a little script that <laughs> based on our on the location of the tweet, it would then return Bob or Juni because we, we are Juni's in Australia, I'm in Spain. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So you can just test by the geolocation. Nice. Exactly. So I, I took this example for, to show that you can just just code like random stuff. It can be funny and just, just uh, get practice. But then that who tweeted script then actually uh, raised this second need to um, practice uh, mocking and, and how to test an external API. So that was then a second script. So one script follows the other. So that's the nice thing. Just get started. And yeah, you might be afraid that you don't get to day 100, but you will. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. This portion of Talk Python to Me was brought to you by GoCD. GoCD is an on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery tool to help you get better visibility into and control of your team's deployments. With GoCD's comprehensive pipeline modeling, you can model complex workflows for multiple teams with ease. And GoCD's value stream map lets you track changes from commit to deploy at a glance. Say goodbye to deployment panic and hello to consistent, predictable deliveries. We all know that continuous integration is super important to the code quality of your applications. Choose the open source local CI server, GoCD. Learn more at talkpython.fm slash GoCD. That's talkpython.fm slash G-O-C-D. So maybe really quickly tell people about the patch.object decorator. So this is a decorator that you can put on any block of code, but typically maybe right on a particular unit test method. Yes. And it will reach deep down inside and change the implementation of some part of probably that API or really whatever you pointed at, right? Like time, for example. Yes. So it has been a while this script, but the decorator wraps a unit test method and uh, it calls the TPI API, so the original method, but you're kind of replacing the gets the original get status method of that API with you give it a return value, which is then the fake data defined in the main body of the script. So it's like I'm faking calling that API returning my own data, and I'm not making the the network call. That's basically yeah, what that, it's about doing. Yeah, that's super cool. Yep. Yeah, very nice. Let's see. Next up, Julian, word scramble. Tell us about the word scramble one. All right. So let me just say a quick disclaimer. I'm not a cheater at words with friends. But I may have used this once. <laughs> but if one were to. <laughs> but if someone was to play word with, words with friends, this might be helpful. So 
I remember, you know, back in the day playing Words with Friends a lot. There were people who would use these little apps on their iPhone to put the letters in and it would unscramble that into a whole dictionary list of um, possibilities, right? And uh, that was the inspiration for this. Not that I ever used one of those, right? That would be wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. So if I've ever beaten anyone with uh, words with friends, I wasn't using this. So the idea is that it's exactly this, just that. We, I just Googled a standard dictionary text, just the whole dictionary and text file. And yeah, I used uh, Editools permutations to then read in the words that you will enter into this app and take the uh, compare it to the dictionary and then come up with um, whatever valid words you could make out of that series of letters that you enter and that was it, it was, it's a simple simple in concept it actually took me a while I ended up calling Bob on this one and saying oh man what am I doing wrong you know and I showed him the code so and this this is the beauty of the whole PyBytes relationship right and I told you like ether tools permutations dude you're growing I mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look where you are this is awesome yeah. <laughs> yeah this is super cool it would have been an ugly for loop I think when I started but <laughs> yeah I think that's one of the things that you have to learn as you get better in Python is I probably could implement this algorithm or I could probably pip install this algorithm. So let's do that instead. I mean, I know Editor Tools is built in, but yeah, just knowing the stuff that you can use, like the pre-built things like Editor Tools permutations, rather than going, well, how do I implement a permutation? Well, let me think about like a nested loop, right? Yeah, well, on that, one of the worst things is you'll spend time on something and then 10 minutes later or even 10 days later, someone like Bob goes, why don't you just use permutations? And you'll be like, oh, what are you talking about? There's a permutations. <laughs> this existed? <laughs> Damn it. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's never ending because uh, even if you think you have some Pythonic tricks up your sleeves, there's, there's always more. There's, there's so many constructs uh, still learning. <laughs> sure, there's a bunch built in. I feel like a lot of them live in editor tools and funk tools and those sorts of things. But uh, just also, there's 120,000 plus on PyPI, right? Like, if you run out of standard library tricks, there's a few more out there. Indeed. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So the next one up is using a pillow to create images in Python. Bob, tell us about that. Yeah, this I picked this one because it's a tool that we still use today. Just, again, a simple prototype. Just give it a URL and some text. Downloads the URL image. It puts it on a canvas, and it puts your text on top of it. Uh, which makes a reasonable banner. It's not like Photoshop art, but it's good enough. And um, yeah, I think or this script or some code challenge morphed into it. But we we start we still using this to uh, make um, PyBytes banners for new code challenges articles. Oh, nice! So you can like auto generate like day thirty one, day thirty two, day thirty three for each one. That's the thing. I think later we wrapped it in some flask uh, GUI. Um, so we just have a form and uh, we give it the text and the background image URL there, and it makes the banner there and and you can just click download or it even downloads it directly to your. So I make a banner in ten seconds now or less. That's awesome. That's way better than like living in Photoshop all the time. Yeah, we don't want to you want to code? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I mean, I had a similar experience recently when I wanted to make all the, I wanted to create audio versions of my online courses. So how do you take MP4s, convert them to MP3s, 
then how do you go and put like this is the title, this is the album, this is this track in this album, and you know, all, you find something cool like Pillow, or you know, it's not actually Pillow, but like there's just these like little libraries that you wouldn't necessarily think is easy to work with. Like it doesn't seem like it'd be that easy to work with images, but you know, here it is, right? Same thing for like IDX tags and MP3s. Very cool. Yeah. So Julian, what about this? steam scraper okay so i love games <laughs> and that's probably one of the worst <laughs> things about pie bites is that i have less gaming time than ever this was actually a, a fun project for me it it actually spanned a few days and it was made up of a few scripts that i made throughout this entire series and um this one i still use uh, what it does is and i know someone out there is going to be listening and say why don't you just use the rss feed well who cares about the RSS? The whole point is to make this, right? What I did was I was scraped the RSS feed using this scraper. And this is steam.com, uh, store.steampad, you know, the Valve game service. And I scraped the RSS feed for all the latest games. Either way, I was scraping that file. I was passing that file, sorry, using a feed parser as well to, to then get the, all of the games, just the titles and the URLs, dump that into a database, okay? So that was like a, one section that took me a day or two to wrap my head around because I'd never used FeedParser at this point. Uh, then there was the whole emailing myself the notification that these games were released, you know? So I'd written an email script at the start of this entire series. And um, then the catch was I was spamming myself with every new game multiple times. So... <laughs> I'm going, well, I already know that game's released. I've already bought that game. I don't want it to be told again. So then I spoke with Bob, and he said, oh, you know, I've conquered this problem before. I've, I've encountered it just at a zero-one flag. And that was it. I just mind-blown, you know. I, just, I was like, oh, sweet. So then, then I, in the database, added a new column. Every existing game, every time something's added, it's given a flag of zero. And then once it's been emailed out, it then gets a flag of one. And then you only email out the zeros. Yeah, that's actually really, really cool. So tell me about feed parser. That was actually complex for me because I'd never had to pass XML before. And so trying to drill your way down through these nested XML tags just did my head in. And I remember crying one night huddled in a corner, you know, with a blanket over me. and uh, <laughs> The namespaces, the namespaces. <laughs> exactly. And... You know, Bob, Bob called me and he said, what's wrong, my son? How can I help you? You know, and I, that's, uh, yeah, and, and I talked to him about it and he showed me the name tuple. And at that point, I'd never used a name tuple. So this, this is what I mean. You know, Bob knows these things and I'm still grasping at straws sometimes. So I was like, what's a name tuple? And he walked me through it. You know, I remember this phone call was about half an hour as he's telling me all these things. And I'm like, this is amazing. And he'd already had a script that used name tuple. So he used that as an example. And then I was able to use that, find the correct names and links, and then save the data. And it, you know, my code, I was hacking my way down. And it just became like five lines as opposed to, you know, 20 or 30. Yeah, and you don't need to know all the XPath expressions to search through it. This is really awesome. So FeedParser just understands RSS1, RSS2, Atom, all that. And you could just ask it questions after it loads up a XML feed. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly right. I was just looking for those tag names and it just knew it. It just found it. It was able to search that stuff for me. So I loved it. Oh, that's sweet. All right, so the next one, uh, you know what I enjoyed 
talking, I mean, I enjoy a lot of things about talking to you guys, but one of the things that's really cool about going through this is like, I didn't know about these parts or I just, you know, import elementary and just go after it with XPath. Like, apparently I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> that's really, really cool. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's not a huge deal for me, but it could, if it was just automatic, that would be better. And I think for the next one as well, um, I've never played with Pi GitHub, but apparently on day 84, you did, right, Bob? Yeah. All right, what is this one? Simple prototype again, uh, just a little script to uh, functions uh, to get a user object from the GitHub API and uh, show stats, all the stats for all uh, his or her repos. So the stars and the forks. Um, yeah, the funny thing is, as you say, you, you raise awareness to yourself that that library exists. And the funny thing is, now that developing something bigger for our code challenges, where I do use a lot of uh, GitHub integration, I went back to that uh, library again. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, GitHub does have like a straight up HTTP JSON API, but having a wrapper over top of it, so you just say get user or, you know, repo.fork, that is so much nicer than yep. actually parsing the dictionaries. I do have to say that recent acquired PDB skills helped me because there was, uh, now that I'm digging deeper into the GitHub API, the, the Pi GitHub, there was not, documentation was a bit bit limited, but uh, that was actually also a blessing to uh, to inspect the objects with PDB uh, set trace and really look into it. I mean, GitHub API is, is huge and you can yeah, do a lot of fun, fun stuff with it. So uh, highly recommend it. Yeah, very cool. All right, uh, let's talk about some Flask apps uh, that you worked on, Julian. All right, so if you, you probably know by now, Mike, I'm a bit of a uh, Flask addict. I can't get over it. So this this was something, so <laughs> for a long time, I wanted to be able to make web apps, and I had no idea, and I just thought it was magic how people were able to have this script turn into a web page, and I never understood how they did it. It uh, scared me uh, approaching it. And uh, <laughs> Bob pointed me at Flask, and he said, try this. And first of all, I went through the Flask documentation and I just melted. I was like, what is this? This is so detailed and complex. This is craziness <laughs> with route maps and methods and views and templates and template language and models and ah. Exactly, exactly. This whole new language, it's like learning a whole new programming language. And uh, I ended up going through 20 different sources. You know, I was checking YouTube, I was Googling. Like three or four new languages, yeah, right? It, it was just, just crazy. So... I, I said, this is something I have to learn. And uh, I ended up writing, uh, I think, three or four Flask apps as part of this 100 days. So I won't go into each one in too much detail, but every one of them was something different. It was like a new sort of Flask skill that I hadn't dealt with before. So my three favorite that I wrote, I wrote a BMI calculator. So that's body mass index. Just a simple calculation, right, on the command line. But to turn that into a workable form on a website that someone can enter in the data, and then it actually shows that result, your BMI, on the same page. Like that, that was difficult for me. You know, I was just thinking, how do I do this? So that was pretty cool. So that involved having to have a div below the form. So the form entry field is quite simple, but there's a hidden div that doesn't appear unless a certain variable exists. And it was actually really cool. I felt like I was a magician. You know, I felt like a hacker. I was like, man, this is cool. I love building web apps like that. It's, it takes a while to put the pieces together, but once you have them, you're like, whoa, look at it work. Exactly. <laughs> it's mesmerizing. Yeah, and I, I still use it, even though I don't care about my BMI. I just do it every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> and another one was a pay calculator. 
you can tell I care about my pay, right? Uh, no, I just that the whole overtime thing that Bob helped me with a year and a half ago, I wanted to calculate how much money, if you work X many hours at this rate, how much it makes. I thought that's a simple use case. The cool part is that it uses Flask sessions. So it saves your hourly rate as a session object. And then you can keep using that session object to calculate different hours. You don't have to enter it in every time. And yeah, and to test it out, I had the first page as a where you enter it in and it's saved as a session object. And the second page, so it, when you browse to the second page, the session object carries over. And that was the challenge for this specific app. So that was really cool. And the last one was uh, one of my favorites because it was the first Flask app that I wrote that uses an external API. Actually, was it an external API? No, I think it was a time zone list. Either way, it was um, it imports every time zone on the planet and then populates a pull-down menu with it. So then you choose that time zone and it tells you what the current time is in that country or in that space compared to your current time. So... Yeah, it was actually really, really cool. I enjoyed that. That was difficult populating that list with data from a, you know, from some other function. So that was the challenge for this one. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really cool. Very, very nice. And uh, obviously, that love of Flask carried on over after this finished, and that's how I got started with the Flask course. Yeah, exactly. You could, we'll definitely talk a little more about that at the end. That's awesome. So last one, Bob, let's talk about some automation. Autogen, I don't know. Pelican, I know. Slack, I know, but I've never done anything with it. Tell us about all these things. Yeah, I couldn't too. So I uh, put them all under an automation. <laughs> I'm going to automate all the things, just all of them. <laughs> automation bucket. So to start with, so it was funny because uh, with the 100 days, you do um, a tweet of your progress every day. So that was the first common thing to automate, to um have it reach out to our log file on the GitHub repo, read in a day, and automatically tweet what's in there, which also put a bit of pressure on us because we had like this daily deadline at 22.43 p.m. The bot's going to get there. The bot's going to get there quick. The bot is going to get us. It's going to get the text. If it's blank, I have to delete the tweet. It's not a shame, but it's a shame. And so it, it put actually <laughs> pressure on us. And uh, but it was, Yeah, we saved a lot of time with that. There were Slack bots, so for example, a neat tool that could actually help uh, people in marketing. When your domain gets mentioned on Twitter, you it gets posted to a Slack channel. So, I mean, if you get retweeted or stuff, you, you notice it in notification, but if somebody just tweets your URL or, or mentions your URL in any sense, you don't. Right, and that happens a lot. If somebody just discovers like a page or something you've done that's cool and they just share it on Twitter, they might not even know about your Twitter account or whatever, forget to put it in there. So, yeah, you'll find a lot of stuff if you search for your domain outside of your uh, Twitter name. Yeah, so we see that all on Slack now. Pelican, yeah, we... <laughs> write some articles and uh, we have quite some entries so i made a little command line tool to um, just uh, do some inputs and ask some questions about uh, topic and tags and then generates an, a markdown file with the right formatting which again shaves some time off every time we have to write a post yeah slack is really cool we have a challenge going on now to uh, build a, a chatbot and <laughs> The most original uh, submission we'll get, uh, actually, we, we buy them a book. Uh, we, we're really fond of chatbots. And uh, one, one I wanted to mention, uh, that idea that grew from uh, the 100 days was a, a karma bot. So when you, in Slack, you do like, uh, HipChat uses it. When you do like user or, or subject plus plus or minus minus, a karma bot just um, keeps track of, of the score. 
and that was all kind of stuff prototypes that that were born out of the 100 days wow that's really cool yeah a lot of stuff came out of there all right so that's one tenth of what you guys learned and i feel like that was super valuable just talking through that with you so that's pretty awesome julian do you recommend people try this 100 day code challenge or is it like too intense is it like a p90x or whatever <laughs> no no I, I totally think uh you need to do this if you if you're interested in programming at any in a way, shape, or form, you, you should totally do it. The only advice I'll give is that it's tough. There are days where you're, you're going to want to go out with your mates and you're going to come home at 11 p.m. and you'll be probably drunk and you'll be like, I have to write some code. <laughs> and, you know, or you'll have to prep, maybe do more the day before. Uh, this whole script a day thing was over the top. So it, it was something I think we may do one day again if we're crazy but the whole just building a pattern and a, the repetition to make you learn something every day so this this we apply to other things as well it's not just 100 days of code now for us but the main thing is if you are married and you have kids please take that into account because <laughs> that was one of the biggest hurdles with us is that it's like you'll have family time and then you'll have to go, I've got to go write a script. They don't understand. It's not their thing, right? So you have to run away. You have to, that was the hardest thing to balance, to be honest. So, but if you can plan, tell your better half, look, here's what I'm doing. Work it out. Even plan a time of the year where work isn't too crazy, but plan it in advance. Don't just jump on it because it can be pretty taxing. Yeah, of course. You know, one thing that comes to mind while you're speaking is maybe this doesn't have to be outside work. Right. Maybe you could get an hour of work at your job saying, Hey, dear manager, I'm trying to learn this thing. And, you know, I have this training budget. Could you just give me time instead of, you know, a class with a bunch of boring slides anyway? Like, I'll just do this. That's an amazing or something along those lines, right? That's a really good idea. I'm going to take that to work and try that. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. That's a good. uh... Thanks, man. (laughs) You should let let us know how it goes. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good good return on investment because you're, you're really practicing and, to really to learn to program, it requires a lot of hours of deliberate practice and um, 100 days of code does that. Yeah, I feel like you guys must have got a lot of um, confidence and like capability with other libraries that you otherwise wouldn't have touched. Exactly. Uh, too, right? Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so you also have another one, and I don't even know if, where you are in the timing of it, but one around Django specifically, not just... Python in general. Tell us about that. Yeah, so after 100 days of code, we were kind (laughs) of a bit tired, but nevertheless, we started a new 100 days. It was a bit uh, looser, so we didn't do like a a daily tweet anymore because, I mean, Django apps uh, are typically like long-stretched projects. You have to do something like Django page view per day or (laughs) or, uh, an API endpoint per day or something. We weren't like that strict on it. um, But yeah, we we did manage to do two or three apps. For example, we made a, and there we used feed parser to to load in all the um, articles from Python Planet and uh, make a little uh, front end where we can just um, go through them and tweet them out and kind of a tool to uh, do a news digest on, on Twitter. Uh, we made a notification app with two-way authentication so people could sign up and get an email and then confirm the link. And we launched three or four code challenges around Django. So And, and we got some uh, good traction from, uh, from the community building Django apps and submitting pull requests. So... It was not like that structured, like 100 tweets. <laughs> we couldn't do that again. But yeah, still, we got 
quite some stuff done. Yeah, that's awesome. And so this one is also done? Yeah, it's done. Yeah, I mean, the, the deadline is over. And now we uh, we take a little bit of rest uh, to prepare for another rest. Come on, you got you got time for one and a half more this year. Relatively, he meant, basically, we're focusing on the project. Yeah, <laughs> he he meant the rest framework. That's what he meant. <laughs> That's right, right. Django rest framework, hundred days of it. Perfect. Awesome framework. <laughs> Nice. So I think, you know, get look at the time. We'll probably just leave it here for the this topic. But I, I feel like this was super valuable. Looking at the 10 you chose and talking about them, I can definitely see the value of doing them. And I learned a few things myself. So, you know, thanks for walking us through this. Nice. No worries. Yeah, awesome. So before you guys get out of here, though, you have to face the two questions. So first of all, <laughs> we'll start with you, Bob, I guess. If you're going to write some Python code, what editor do you use? Vim. Vim. All right on. And a notable PyPI package. You guys got to play with 100 packages or modules in this whole thing. So probably found some cool ones. Can we still say requests? You can still say requests. That's awesome. Maybe for data analysis, I would say Pandas. We didn't really use it in 100 days, but it's, it's an excellent uh, it's an excellent tool to, uh, to do any kind of data analysis. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Julian. Obviously, on the command line, it's going to be Vim. And Bob, don't, don't hate me, okay? Please don't hate me. On Windows, I actually use Notepad++. And I love it. I know. It's crazy. That's cool. I've, I've known some people that love Notepad++ as well. Very cool. And notable PyPI package? Okay, so I'm going to just say two. Obviously, Flask. Oh, well, okay, that's not PyPI. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's on there. It's on there. Is it? Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant like a part of standard lib. No, no, outside the standard lib. External stuff. There are probably two. Um, Flask, obviously. Uh, I won't go into that. But actually, this and this is an interesting one because I'm pretty terrible at it. PyTest. It was only in the past month that Bob was pushing me on this one, going, you've got to try this, you know, and um, it just worked. It's so easy to just get like boring and go, ah, just import, you know, unit test and just use that. It's right there. Like there's nothing to it. Right. And I was not very good at testing my own code and I'm still terrible at it. But it was just this whole different way of looking at it. So definitely PyTest. All right. Oh, yeah. Those are both uh, very, very good ones. Awesome. All right, guys, people are interested in this. Like, how can they participate? Maybe can they join like your community somehow to like sort of have some support while they go through? Or what do you think? Uh, Bob, go first. Yeah. So PyBytes, uh, we do articles, uh, code channels, news and projects. If you really want to practice, I really recommend to go through the list of code challenges we have. We have 44 now, up until now, and um, pick whatever you like and uh, clone the repo or fork the repo make your branch and uh, start trying to do these challenges. We have seen people growing a lot. They thought like, oh, I cannot do it. And they did it. <laughs> they thought they would have some lame sub- submission. And they actually came up with solutions. We were like, wow. <laughs> or stuff. We were like, wow, I'm not <laughs> even sure what, what it is. You know? <laughs> so we were learning from them as well. But it works. It's incredible. So really, people and, and ourselves too, we, we're really stretching ourselves through these code challenges. So um that's really um, what I would recommend from our site. Yeah, that's awesome. Julian, how about you? Yeah, so from a, I guess, from the beginner standpoint, for anyone listening, just stop procrastinating and start coding. It's literally learn by doing. That's just the greatest way to do it. And again, obviously a plug, you've got to try the code challenges. They will force you to just to learn new things. And because you're getting told in the challenges what you have to do and what you have to learn, that's an even better way. Do the 100 days of code challenge. But the most important thing is to just start writing code. That's it. Awesome. And speaking of uh, writing some code, you uh, started working with Flask. You talked about how you fell in love with it. You have um, 
a course on Udemy for Flask, right? That's right. Yeah, quickly tell people about it before we get out of here. Yeah, just super quick. It's a beginner's Flask course. It is totally intended for beginners because, as I mentioned before, the Flask documentation, trying to find and understand everything, was quite difficult to piece it all together. So I've made this course, uh, Bob and I have worked on it, and it's just designed to really sell it in layman terms. So if you don't understand, we walk you through all the steps to write your first Flask app, get the basics down. And we will expand this later as we go, and we are working on more courses, but this one is the way to get into it, and it's actually really fun. Feedback's been great, and um, we've got a link for you, Mike, with a discount code for anyone listening. Yeah, I see it, right? It's got the coupon code in there. So I'll put that in the show notes and people just click it there and they get a discount and you'll know it came from the podcast, which is awesome. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you for doing this project and sharing all the stuff you do at PyBytes with the community and now sharing it with everyone listening to the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having us, Mike. Mike. You bet. Bye. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Today's guests have been Bob Belderbos and Julian Sekaria, and this episode has been brought to you by Rollbar and GoCD. Rollbar takes the pain out of errors. They give you the context and insight you need to quickly locate and fix errors that might have gone unnoticed until your users complain, of course. As Talk Python to Me listeners, track a ridiculous number of errors for free at rollbar.com slash talkpythontome. GoCD is the on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server. Want to improve your deployment workflow, but keep your code and builds in-house? Check out GoCD at talkpython.fm slash gocd and take control over your process. Are you or a colleague trying to learn Python? Have you tried books and videos that just left you bored by covering topics point by point? Well, check out my online course, Python Jumpstart by Building 10 Apps at talkpython.fm slash course to experience a more engaging way to learn Python. And if you're looking for something a little more advanced, try my Write Pythonic Code course at talkpython.fm slash pythonic. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, Google Play feed at slash play, and direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code. (laughs) 